Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're reading from the book of Acts today, um, from chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 8 to um, eight to 15, and then we'll move on to chapter 7, verses 51. Yeah, uh, verses 51 to 8. Uh, to chapter eight, verse eight. So that's in page one zero nine eight of your of your church Bibles. Okay, so Acts chapter six, uh, starting from verse eight. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Acts chapter 7, verse from verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us from your word, both in our heads and in our hearts, that our lives may glorify you. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Morning. My name is John, one of the, the leaders here. Just get myself sorted. Got a fairly serious passage um, this morning. Um, not many jokes, I'm afraid. You know, in many, in many parts of the world, it's definitely not safe to be a Christian. Jesus' followers are discriminated against, imprisoned, or, or even killed in some places. The mission organization Open Doors, they publish an annual, annual world watch list which ranks countries in the order of the severity of the persecution of Christians. The 2023 list came out on the 18th of January, and I've got it here. They have the top 50 countries. The top five countries are North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya. If you're wondering, Myanmar is number 14 on the list. I use the Open Doors Prayer Diary, which helps us pray for persecuted Christians. If you're interested in signing up for that, see me afterwards and I'll see if I can get supplies from them or put you in touch with how you can get their prayer leaflet. But this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we're looking at the first severe outbreak of persecution against Christians, though they weren't called that at this stage. Plus, the first person to be killed for his faith, as we heard in the reading, Stephen. Mind you, the pressures on this band of Jesus followers have been growing as the religious authorities saw the influence and the popularity of this new movement as it grew and gained traction throughout Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, were definitely getting a bit twitchy. They felt threatened. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are hauled before the Sanhedrin. That's the, and the Sanhedrin was the, the supreme Jewish council and, and legal court uh, under the Romans. Peter and John on this occasion in Acts 4 were let off with a warning. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I and mean, in their reply we find in Acts 14 verse 19... But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In Acts 5, things start hotting up. <coughs> Sorry, I have a bit of a throat. The apostles are arrested and put in jail. After a night in jail, an angel lets them out, and as per his instructions, they have head back to the temple courts. What to do? To talk about Jesus, of course. 
another arrest, more questions. And again, they boldly proclaim Jesus. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, on this occasion, they just about escaped the death penalty through the intervention, intervention of one of the council, a guy called Gamaliel. But they do get a flogging. But does it stop them? Acts 5.41 The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because, remember, they just had a flogging. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So we come to Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and the persecution associated with his death. But Luke wants us to see there is more to this account than the death of one man for his faith. But it's also a link in the chain which leads to us here today in Holdsworth Mill. As you probably noticed, I've got three M's for you today. We, we follow with the alliteration. Our series in Acts all starts with the letter P. Well, today I've got three M's. The man, the message, the murder, and the momentum. So let's start with the man. What do we know about Stephen? He's one of the seven who were selected in Acts chapter 6 to look after the distribution of food to the widows of the Hellenistic Jews. Difficult to say. The Hellenistic Jews were the ones who spoke Greek. A sort of early food bank idea. This... Um, appointing these guys would free up the 12, the 12 apostles so they could continue prayer and the ministry of the word he was a sort of proto-deacon if you like though they're not called deacons here efficient organisation in the church isn't wrong and we need folk with practical abilities like like these uh, these guys who were organising the food distribution but the qualifications for the job were not management experience or practical abilities. They had to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So Stephen was one of these, full of the spirit and wisdom. We find more about him in Acts 6.8. He's a man full of God's grace and power who performed great wonders and signs among the people. These wonders and signs went alongside his abilities as a, an evangelist to his fellow Jews, probably mainly the Greek-speaking ones. He was persuasive as he spoke about Jesus. His hearers argued back, but Acts tells us they could not stand against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So he's full of grace and power and spoke with wisdom. By God's grace, he had a, an attractive personality. I think I'd quite like to meet him. Perhaps one day I will. I'm not quite sure whether we can, sort of, when we get into God's new heaven and earth to heaven, whether we can go round and meet up with all the people we'd like to meet up with. I hope we would, but I'd like to meet Stephen. He comes across as an attractive personality. Now, as we live for Jesus 
let's pray that we too will be transformed by God into the likeness of the Lord Jesus and have that attraction, attractive personalities. I'd like to think our faces will be like that of an angel looking around here. Actually, if we're going to be in trouble for being a Christian, let's make sure it is just for that and not because we're obnoxious people. We don't want to be a pain in the neck. We want to be, in the best sense of the word, nice people, as God enables us to be so. May our words be persuasive, yes, our lives be persuasive, but f- and firm, our, our speech, but also loving and gracious. May we have a love and concern for those around us who don't know Jesus, as Stephen obviously did. The opposition bring a charge of blasphemy against Stephen, and so we move on to the message. The detail was that he spoke blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and they produced a set of false witnesses who added some substance. 7 verse 13. Sorry, lost it. No, 6.13. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to them. Does it sound familiar? The religious authorities tried to condemn Jesus on the same charge, also using false witnesses. Stephen then addresses the charges in his speech to the Sanhedrin. Now, I didn't get Gavin to read this, because if he had, we would have been here an awful long time, because this speech to the Sanhedrin which Stephen's make is the longest in the book of Acts. It's long, it's complicated, and frankly, to modern readers, a bit boring. Am I allowed to say that? Don't be put off, though. Let's unpack it and see what we can find out about it. Stephen talks to the Sanhedrin. This is in his defense to these charges of blasphemy, speaking against this holy place, speaking against the law. He tells them about three characters from Israel's history. All three were held in high regard by the Jews. Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. Where did God appear to Abraham? 7 verse 2. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Not Jerusalem, not the temple. Did Abraham settle in Israel? No. 7.5 He gave him, that's God, gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even at that time, Abraham had no child. 
Yet God did meet with Abraham and gave him the covenant of circumcision. So he met with Abraham where? Mesopotamia, Haran, and gave him no portion of the land at that time. What about Joseph? 7, 8 and 10. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. This shows the patriarchs in a bit of a bad light, really. They were jealous of Joseph. But where was God with Joseph? Anyone? Egypt. A pagan country, not the promised land. And those patriarchs, they too emigrated to Egypt when famine struck. Time passes. About 430 years and Joseph's descendants have become slaves in Egypt. Moses was born, brought up as Pharaoh's daughter. 722. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Well, not exactly the best upbringing and background for one of the revered patriarchs of the Jewish faith. He identifies with the enslaved Egyptian, the, the enslaved Israelites, to the point of killing one of the Egyptians who was mistreating an Israelite, and his own people didn't want to know. Seven twenty-five. Moses thought that his own people realized that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Moses fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Where did God meet with Moses? Midian, you've guessed it, a foreign land. He met with him in the burning bush and sent him back to Egypt to lead his people out of slavery. And God continues to be with Moses on his journey to the promised land and in their wilderness wanderings. And Moses looks ahead. 737 this is this is that Moses who told the Israelites God will send you a prophet like me from your own people so what do the Israelites do with Moses leadership in the wilderness they're rejected But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. 
But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god, Repham, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. A sad story of turning away from God. And these again were the revered ancestors which the Sanhedrin respected so much. A story of rebellion which would lead them into exile from the land, Jerusalem, the temple. Yep, Stephen says that tabernacle was a symbol of God's presence with his people in their wilderness wanderings. And he went with them into the promised land where Solomon would build a permanent structure, the temple. But, again, look at 748. Stephen quotes Isaiah. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You get the idea and the message Stephen was putting across. The God of Israel was not confined to Jerusalem, not confined to the temple, but meets with his people anywhere. Speaking against this holy place, as they accuse Stephen of, is not blasphemy, as their view of the temple doesn't fit with God's dealing with his people. As to their respect for the law given through Moses, we've seen how they rebelled against his leadership and turned to a golden calf just at the point where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. So Stephen turns the table on his accusers, as we read in um, 7.51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears... You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. He's accusing them of utter disregard for the law and the rejection of the righteous one, Jesus the Messiah. He preaches Jesus. So, thanks for bearing with me. I hope you get the idea of what Stephen is trying to put across in this long speech this long history lesson. But what does it have to do with us today? What, what can we learn? First of all, this is the groundwork, the theological framework for the breakout of the message of Jesus from Jerusalem. Luke here, in reporting this speech in full, is saying to us, God and his message and the Messiah is not confined to Jerusalem, not confined to the temple. 
So the early church members would be, as we've heard before previous sermons, witnesses not just in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And ultimately, we are the beneficiaries of the breakout of this message, which went round the world in the centuries that followed. As for buildings, God does not live in buildings, whether it's St. Peter's Basilica in Rome or Holdsworth Mill in Reddish. Now, some buildings may become precious to us because God's people together have met there with God over the years, but he's not tied to them. If I had time, we could do a side thing on the theology of buildings and places, but uh, perhaps come have a chat with me afterwards. And pilgrimage isn't necessary, even to the Holy Land. It's a great place to go, but it's not necessary. God meets with us where we are. There's a hymn written by William Cowper in 1769 for the opening of a prayer room in Olney where John Newton, the amazing grace guy and the um, converted slave trader, he, he was the rector there, he was the vicar, and they opened this prayer room and William Cowper wrote this hymn uh, for the opening. And the first two verses go like this. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found, and every place is hallowed ground. Verse 2, for thou within no walls confined, inhabitest the humble mind. Such ever bring thee where they come, and going take thee to their home. It's old language, but great truth. And what about the law? Yes, we honour the law, not because the keeping of it brings us salvation or earns God's favour, but we keep it and honour it as his guide and direction for holy living. But we also need to be aware that we do not create non-biblical traditions which become for us law and prevent God from using us to do the new things he intends In all of this, remember that Jesus, the Messiah, has come to replace the temple and fulfill the law, which both bear witness to him. The reformer John Calvin puts it like this, No harm can be done to the temple and the law when Christ is openly established as the end and truth of both. So we have the man, the message, and the murder. As we've heard in the reading, all this didn't go down well with the Jewish leaders. Not only was Stephen proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, but a Messiah not confined to the temple, Jerusalem or even Israel. The message was also a threat to their vested interest and established power structures. So as he faced their fury and the threat of death, Jesus met with him in a special way. 7.55 But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Jesus honors those who suffer for his sake. He stands with them. And the Holy Spirit may come upon them at such times in special fullness. For those who suffer, particularly as Christians, Jesus meets with them in the darkness. Why was Jesus standing? We read elsewhere of him seated at the right hand of God, but here Jesus is standing. The best suggestion is as a witness or advocate in Stephen's defense. Luke 12, 8 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. So Stephen, he was dragged outside the city and stoned to death. Yeah, a, a, nasty, a nasty, a nasty death. So we're almost finished. We come to the momentum. It was second uh, century, one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And from this, this sad occurrence, this first death for being a Christian, things continue and the church grows. Persecution often backfires on the persecutor. I mean, Luke drops a couple of names into his story. He's a great writer, is Luke. First there is Philip. He's one of the seven mentioned in chapter 6. The other other is Saul, who later becomes Paul the Apostle. Saul, approving the death of Stephen, leaves the persecution, hunting down the church and putting the Christians in prison. Many believers fled Jerusalem and preached the word wherever they went. You can imagine this scenario. Ah, where, where do you come from? Uh, Jerusalem. Oh, okay. Well, why, why have you moved here? What, what are you doing here? We're followers of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, and the authorities, they're locking us up. Um, it, it, it's safer here. Well, what's so special about this Jesus? And why do you think he's God's chosen one? And so the conversation goes on. Philip, he went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Here we go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jesus is not not just for the Jews of Jerusalem or even Judea, but the hated and despised Samaritans as well. Because of the persecution the message had moved out and onwards. And this has often been the case throughout the subsequent history of the church. You need to come back next week to hear about the next stage, as Chris will be telling us, I think it's Chris next week, telling us about this guy, Saul, the persecutor. Yeah, here in the UK, we may not suffer this sort of persecution one might in the future around the world many do but seeing how God's people handle persecution 
has brought many to faith. And as we end this morning, can I urge you to remember in prayer those who around the world suffer as followers of Jesus. So we have the man, the message, the murder, and the momentum. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your presence here as we gather in a mill. Thank you for your presence with your people wherever they gather, indoors, outdoors, openly, in secret, twos or threes, two or three thousand. We thank you for your presence with your people and the blessing you bring with them. Yes, we would pray, Father, this morning for those who suffer for their faith in places like North Korea, Eritrea, Myanmar, and many other places. We pray that they may be aware of your presence with them as Stephen was when facing death, that you will pour your Holy Spirit upon them in special blessing at that time. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember them, help us to support them. And Father, too, may we be your witnesses wherever you put us, wherever you send us, wherever you place us. Give us the words to say. Give us the openings, the conversations. We want people to know about our Lord Jesus, to have hearts and minds changed that, yeah, they will be saved from sin and given new life. And may we be your witnesses, persecuted or not. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.